We are going to be looking at Psalm 91, so if you have a Bible, uh, you might want to put a marker in there or on your phone, just pull it up. Um, by the way, how many of you have an app on your, a Bible app on your phone? If you don't, there is a great Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U Version. Get it, because they, they can um, download on your phone uh, a list of all kinds of different versions of the Bible. I'm preaching from the English Standard Version, ESV. You can read NIV. You can read King James Version. You can read a lot of different versions and paraphrases on your phone. You can even alternate between the two. Some of them also have the ability to have someone read the scriptures to you. They actually have voices, and at the bottom there's a little arrow. You click on that, and you hear someone reading the scriptures to you, which is nice when you're in the hospital or laying in bed. You just want someone to read scripture over you. It's just a beautiful thing. There are also devotional plans for how to get into God's Word on a daily basis. It's a great app called YouVersion if you don't have one, um, but that's what I have on my phone. U.S. US News and World Report did a survey of the top 125 cities to find out what ranked at the very top for affordability, living conditions for families, health resources, all those kind of things. Just a great place to raise your family. And out of the 125 largest cities, guess what city was number one? No, Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Second year in a row. Austin, Texas. Great place. I've never been there. Great place to live. Number two was Colorado Springs. Out of 125 cities, Largest cities in our nation, Colorado Springs, an ideal place to live. There are times when Julie and I are driving around the city, and I'll just look up at the mountains, and it'll look so beautiful, and, I would say, and I'll say, like, man, you know what? I wish we could, we could live in a city like this. <laughs> Truth is, we do. We just take it for granted sometimes what we have, but people vacation here. Do you realize that? We live here. People vacation here, and we get to, to live here. But honestly, there are a lot of beautiful cities a lot of beautiful places all across the United States. I've met people who love living in Chicago. I don't know why, but they love living in Chicago. And I've met people who love living in Denver. When I'm driving in Denver traffic, I love not living in Denver. <laughs> but I, I love where we live. It's a beautiful place. It's a great place to live. But I want to talk to you today about a place that did not make it on the list. It's kind of sad because it really is the best place to live. And that place is the presence of the Lord to live in the Lord's presence. Because you can live in that wherever you are. And some of us, even those of us who call ourselves Christians, do not make a practice of living in the presence of the Lord on a daily basis. And that's what the psalm is about. Making the Lord a place in which we dwell. This is called the um, soldier psalm. Many, many have recognized that because uh, of the military deployments and the chaplains reading these scriptures. It's just a lot of relevancy for the war situation, but you don't have to be a soldier to appreciate what is written in the scriptures. It is a powerful statement of one person writing what God has done for them. Now, we don't know who wrote it. It doesn't tell us who wrote this. It could have been Moses, and I don't know if you knew this. Moses wrote at least one of the Psalms, Psalm 90, the one right before this, and it's believed if he wrote that one, he might have wrote the next one too because there's some similarities. For example, the first verse of Psalm 90 reads this way, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God, the dwelling place. God is our dwelling place. And that rolls over into Psalm 91. And so I want to read to you, starting with just the first two verses of that psalm. He says, Lord, he, says he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
What he's saying here is that from his own experience, from this writer's, whoever it is, from their own experience, I have made the Lord my dwelling place. He has been a good refuge and a fortress for me. And his whole point is, this whole psalm will emphasize again and again and again, is that to be close to the Lord is to keep trouble at a distance. It's as if the Lord has this force field around him, that if you're close to the Lord, you benefit from that force field and evil can't, can't get to you because you're so close to the Lord. And that's our desire, to be close to the Lord, to make him our refuge, our dwelling place. Why? Well, there's different reasons why that are stated through this psalm. First, because he's a safe haven. The Lord is a safe haven. He is a place where I find refuge and protection. See, when babies are born, let's even go back further. When babies are conceived, they are protected in this thing the Lord created called the mother's womb. Very sturdy, very stable. A child is protected in the mother's womb. But once the child is born, he knows he's not protected or she knows she's not protected. And what do they do immediately? They start crying. And and the truth is, because they're not protected anymore. They don't have the warmth of that. They don't have the security of that. It's all open. Oh, my goodness, I'm in danger now. And see, we go through life in the midst of danger. Now, we don't understand that as well as the people in these Bible times did because we're used to living in nice homes, driving cars with steel roofs. I mean, all the kind of things we take for granted that protect us. But in the Middle East, in biblical times, think about that. For one, it's searing heat. It's just that the sun's beating down on you. There's no air conditioning. There's no swamp coolers. It is hot. You can actually die from the heat. It's so hot. And not only that, that people like to war against each other. There's fighting all the time. So you never know when the next nation is going to come raid your place and maybe kill you. So there's the fear of the enemies. There's diseases that, that go rampant. They didn't have immune, uh, they didn't have the, uh, what do you call that when you get a shot? Immunization, yes. They didn't have the immunizations to keep them from disease. They didn't have, uh, you know, little clinics they could go into when they had a sniffle or something. You know, diseases could just race through families. And so all these things were beating down upon people. They needed protection. They needed shelter. And we don't experience that too often, except I think this summer we got a taste of it with the hailstorm. In June, I remember that our roof felt like someone was dropping marbles on our roof. We, we woke up, went outside. I said, oh, my goodness, I've never seen hail like this. I mean, it was pretty big, but not as big as people down south of us who started having baseball-sized hail. And we learned the next morning that um, some, of, some of those hailstones went through their roof, went through their ceilings, broke skylights, demolished 10,000 cars. I mean, this was devastating hail. I'd never seen anything like it in, in my 58 years of life on this earth. But amazingly, within the next 58 days, it happened again. <laughs> and this time, we knew what was coming. When the hail happened that afternoon in August, started to fall, my wife happened to be driving my car, and she, she pulled it in. I said, park under a tree, thinking the tree would protect it. I, all of a sudden, because of the angle of the storm, I knew that wasn't going to be enough, so I took a blue tarp, and I started running out there because I wanted to put it over my car, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to cover my car. She said, we have insurance. I said, I know we have insurance. I don't want to watch my car get beat up in this hailstorm. And so I ran out there anyway like a, I was going to say like a heroic guy, more like an ignorant guy. I run out there, and immediately I get whacked in the hand by a hailstone. Smarted a little bit, but um, I continue to put this tarp over my car, which, by the way, a little skinny tarp did nothing. <laughs> and a half hour later, I'm in my house, and I look down, and I went, oh, my goodness. I had this big welt on my hand that was the size of a golf ball. 
And uh, it stayed that way for days and gradually went down. And still, there's a little bit of a bump on my hand. It's, I think the Lord's going to leave a little bit there <laughs> as remembrance of my stupidity. Because I learned later that, that Evans Hospital at Fort Carson had soldiers coming with bloody, bloody scalps. They'd been out in the field. I mean, when a storm like that comes, you need shelter. And when the hurricane comes to the coast, you need shelter. And when a tornado's blowing through, you need shelter. We understand that in the physical realm, but I'm going to tell you this. There are times in your life when you need an emotional shelter. The financial issues are overwhelming. The job pressures are tearing you down. Your marriage is just beating you up. You need a shelter. You need a shelter. You're a student, and the peer pressure is so oppressive. You need a shelter. Where do we find it? In the Lord. He is a refuge. He is a fortress for us. He is the, the best fortress because he is high and almighty. Now, here's the problem. Many of us who know the Lord have not made him our refuge, have not made him our dwelling place. We treat God, some of us, some of us treat God like a convenient hotel. When do you need a convenient hotel? Uh, when you're driving and you can't make it to the destination, you need to stop for the night, let's grab a hotel. Or, you know, the car breaks down, it's gonna, we're going to have to take it into the shop tomorrow, let's get a hotel. It's a, it's a crisis moment in your life. I need this hotel because if, if things were all good, I wouldn't need it. But because they're not good, I need the hotel. I think some of us treat God that way. I'm cruising along, I don't need God right now, and then when the crisis hits, okay, I need God. I better, I better go to church, I better pray, because I need God to help. Oh my goodness, I can't handle this by myself. But then when it starts smoothing out again, we're back on the road, and God's left behind. Some of us treat God like a convenient hotel. Some of us treat God like a seasonal resort. Meaning, there's a certain season in your life where you say, hey, I get real spiritual during that season. Maybe it's Christmas. And we're all about Christmas. We go to church during Christmas season. We do Christmas Eve service real big as a family. I mean, this is a really big thing. Easter's even bigger. Man, I do the whole Lent thing on Easter. I put ashes on my forehead, and I really get into Easter. And then Easter's over. I go back to my ways. It's just seasonal. It's just during that season, I get really spiritual, really into it, but I don't need God the whole year. I just need a a nice shot in the arm with the Lord. Maybe the season is when the kids are little because they need to be in church. So I'm going to go to church for the sake of my kids, but I don't really need it. But it's for this season, we're going to get involved in church. And I think some of us treat God that way. And God, I need you for a season, but I don't need you all the time. And God wants us not to, not to see him as a convenient hotel or seasonal resort, but as a comfortable home. Comfortable home. Because actually, the words here, dwell, abide, give the connotation of making God your home. I mean, think about it. A dwelling, an abode, those are houses. Those are places you live. It means to remain. It means to stay. It means to settle in or to sit. You're just hunkering down. This is going to be home. This is where we are. This is, this is where I'm going to live. And the psalmist is saying That's, that should be your mentality with God. Get comfortable. Get settled. It's you and God. This is the way it's going to be. Jesus talked about this. Before Jesus went to the cross, he met in an upper room with his disciples. And he was teaching them things that they would need to know when he left this earth. He said, you guys will be on your own when I leave, but you won't be alone because I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And then he told them this. This is found in John, Gospel of John, chapter 15. I want you to notice the word abide. It comes up a couple times. Abide in me and I in you, 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Are you getting the message here? <laughs> abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. At least 10 times, he repeats the word abide. Some of your Bibles might say remain. It's the same concept. In fact, Jesus says, I'll I'll ratchet it up a little bit. To abide in me is to have a relationship that's as close as a branch is to the vine. How close does a branch have to be to the vine to produce fruit? Really close, right? I'm not talking inches close. I mean rubbing against, attached to, stuck on it. And if it's not, if there's any gap between the two, that branch will die. Jesus is saying, you have to stay connected to me. And here's, here's what I see so many Christians do. I accepted Jesus. I got baptized. But you're not abiding in him. You're not staying connected to him. What is going to happen when you start to separate from the Lord? The vine and the branches, what's going to happen? You will die. Your relationship with the Lord will start to shrivel up. So don't think that just because you accepted Jesus... God just makes this permanent, beautiful relationship. You're going to struggle. It's going to be difficult. You have to stay connected. And that's the point here. We've got to stay close to the Lord. We have to make him our dwelling place because that's where the blessing is. The psalmist says that I trust in him. He is my refuge and my God in whom I trust. It's it's an evidence of trust. I'm comfortable in him. I'm resting in him because I trust him. He is the safe haven. He goes on to say even more about the Lord, though. Let's look. This next is a kind of a longer section, starting with verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his pinions, or feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Catch that. All this is happening because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague Come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, and the young lion and serpent you will trample underfoot. The Lord is a strong helper. The Lord is a strong helper. I mean, that's so clear in this section here. He's doing good things for you out of his strength. First of all, he places a covering over me. This covering he describes as, as the feathers like, like a bird that's drawing us near and then covers his little chicks with the feathers, that's the Lord. Now, you know that this is just figurative. God doesn't have feathers. He's not a bird. He's just giving us this image that we see in nature to convey this is how God feels toward you. He wants to gather you close. He wants to cover you. But in order to cover you, you have to be close. See, when the psalmist writes that he's, he's in the shadow of the Almighty, 
How close do you have to be to someone to be in their shadow? Pretty close, right? Right next to them. And if you're next to someone in the, the shadow, their body becomes a covering for you. In fact, if you just picture like the heat of the day in the Middle East, it's just searing hot. And say you're a daddy walking around, you've got your little child with you, and the child's staying in your shadow, your shade, because it's blocking the heat. In other words, you're taking the heat in place of your son taking the heat. God will take the heat for you if you get close enough to him. He'll take the heat for you. And so he becomes this covering, this this shield. Jesus spoke of this too. Sometimes we think God in the Old Testament was was this really harsh, uncaring God. But no, God was tender then, just as he's tender in Jesus. When Jesus entered Jerusalem during his last week on earth, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not come. God wants to gather us near, but it's up to us to be willing to come near. If we do, he will protect us like a, like a bird with the feathers protects its young. But he gives another picture that his faithfulness is like a shield and buckler. So we have the, the tenderness of God, but here's the toughness of God. In the midst of the battle, he will be a shield for us. And that's why I think so many in our armed forces have found comfort in this psalm because they're in the midst of battle. They don't need feathers right now. They need a shield. They need a shield, and, and so they are standing on the promise that God will be their shield for them. You know, there, there's countless stories of people in the military, United States, other countries, that have experienced really miraculous things because they trusted God to protect them. Probably a great example of this, maybe one of the greatest, was what happened in World War II with the miracle of Dunkirk. The, the English troops were getting just pushed back by the German forces and, and Winston Churchill just knew that if they didn't do something, they would lose over 300,000 soldiers. And so King George VI announced this National Day of Prayer, and people packed the churches in May of that year. They just packed the churches, and people humbly reached out to God. God, would you step in? God, would you intervene? Our sons, our fathers are going to get killed if you don't step in and do something to protect them. And then over the next couple of weeks, some mir- really, they believe miracles happened. First was this. Hitler told his ground troops to back off. They were 10 miles away from the English Channel. They were going to pin, pin these 300,000 men against, against their army and the English Channel. But Hitler said, back off, back off. We don't know why. History doesn't tell us why. Other than possibly he thought his air power could take care of it. But here's the second miracle a storm arose so that his planes could not fly. So, so over the next few days, the soldiers advanced all the way under the cover of night to get to the beach where they could get rescued. And then the third miracle happened. The English Channel stilled. It became like a pond. People said, I'd never seen anything like it. It just became so calm that boats began to go from England across the Channel to rescue soldiers. They were taking boatloads, big boats, small boats, Commercial boats, private boats, people took their rowboats, came across, loaded up as many men as they could, and they paddled all the way back, and and, and they did it all safely. More than 300,000 were brought in these boats. They said the the channel was so full of of, of watercraft that it looked like a highway on a holiday. And then the sky started to open up, and Hitler sent the planes in. There were 400 men left on that beach. And when the bullets started getting fired at them and the bombs were getting dropped, 
they just, a lot of them just laid on the sand, face down. And when the bullets and bombs stopped, they all arose and realized not one of us was killed. Not one. Can you imagine the, the feeling of being protected? And so a couple weeks later, they announced a day of thanksgiving across England. And again, the churches were filled. This time not with prayers, but with praises. And in every church, it was either sung or read this psalm. Not 91, but Psalm 124. I don't want to read the whole psalm. We don't have time for it. But can you imagine if you'd just gone through the miracle of Dunkirk and how this scripture would have been transformed from Old Testament time to your personal experience? If the Lord himself had not been on our side... Now may Israel say, if the Lord himself had not been on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up quick. Our soul is escaped even as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we are delivered. Our help standeth in the name of the Lord who hath made heaven and earth. Now, you may think those are all coincidences. There are many who experience that that say, no way. That was God shielding us from the enemy. God promised to be a shield, a cover for you. He also um, promises to position his angels around me. Promises to position his angels around us. He says he will command his angels concerning you. Now, I know that many believe in this concept called a guardian angel. I don't know. We have guardians here. I think sometimes they're, they're like angels. Um, but But... A guardian angel would be someone that's there just to stand by you and protect you. And we do know that children have angels that, that see the face of the Father in heaven, so maybe it is true. I don't know. But I do know that angels sometimes look like people, even in the Bible. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that sometimes you can, you can entertain strangers, and in so doing, you're actually entertaining angels. So here's why angels are sent. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, And they, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who who are to inherit salvation? Who are those? Us. Angels are sent to serve us. So we don't know how. Maybe maybe you had an incident in your life where you said, man, I don't know who that was. Never saw that person again. I think that may have been an angel. I think we'll be surprised when we stand before the Lord if God would show us all the times when angels intervene in our lives. He positions the angels concerning us. And then he puts demonic powers under me. He doesn't specifically mention Satan in this passage or demonic spirits, but I think it's pretty obvious in this verse. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and serpent you will trample under your foot. Who is the roaring lion in the New Testament? Satan. Who is the deceiving serpent? It's Satan. What God's saying here, I believe, is is telling us, you have authority over the demonic powers. You will trample them under your foot. They are powerful. They are real. But if you're close to God, they will not touch you. You'll be shielded from them. You'll have authority over them. And so we need to recognize the fact of what God has done for us. It's the same thing he did for his disciples. Jesus sent out 72 disciples. He said, you go out there and you start preaching the gospel, heal people and cast demons out. And when they came back, they could not believe the fact that the demons would listen to them. And, and Jesus said, yeah, why wouldn't they? I, I gave you authority. In fact, Jesus said to them, this is from Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I've given you authority over, he's not talking about literal 
snakes and serpents, scorpions. He's talking about spiritual ones, just like you experienced driving demons out. I've given you power over all, all the powers of the enemy. If you are close to God, Satan, Satan has no authority over any area of your life. Tell him to bug off. Remind him who you belong to. But I would give you this warning. If you're not walking with the Lord, if you're opening up doors to the devil... What I mean by that, you're doing things that you know are contrary to what God would. You're watching the kind of movies that you know don't honor God. And I get blown away sometimes when kids say, yeah, my mom and dad love watching horror movies. I'm like, really? That opens up such a wide door. I mean, horror movies today are, are not just scary. They're, dem- they're, they're demonic. You're opening doors, drugs, uh, pornography, so many things that we can do. This, it's almost like we're inviting Satan to come and have a dwelling within our place and if you shut that and say, no way, I'm clinging to my God, then you have the confidence. You'll have all authority you need over the evil one. And then he says one more thing. Actually, he doesn't say it. The last part of the psalm takes a twist because it's almost as if God says, hey, let me take that microphone now. It's my turn. It's my turn to say my perspective on this. He was telling you about God's his dwelling place and all this. Here's what I have to say. So listen to what God says. Because he holds fast to me in love, speaking of the believer, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. All these things God says, I will do. All these promises I will make. He is our sure hope. Meaning if if, if you are dwelling in him, making him your home, he says, you can count on me doing these things. Now, another, another way of looking at dwelling in the Lord or abiding in him is what God says in this passage. Because he holds fast to me in love. Now, think of that, holding fast. Not just he loves me. He holds fast to me in love. It, it's, again, this clinging picture. He's clinging to me. It's the, it's the branch clinging to the vine. It's the child clinging to his parent. It's saying, I'm not going to let go. I've got you, God. I'm not letting go of you. I don't want to be anywhere where I can't touch you. And so I'm going to cling to you. Does that describe your relationship with the Lord? Are you clinging to the Lord? I know you probably love him. I'm just asking, are you clinging to him? Are you, are you holding fast to him in love? If you do, he says, here's what I'll do for you. I won't go through these in detail, but just point them out. He will deliver me. Meaning he's going he's to um, allow me to escape those sticky, messy situations I find myself in. He's going to protect me because I know his name. I've called on it often. I'm very familiar with his name. It's a very dear name. He will protect me. He will answer me when I call. I know that when I pray, God's listening. He will be with me in trouble. God will not leave when I'm going through a difficult time. He will be with me. He will not let me be alone. And again, he will rescue me, which sounds a lot like he will deliver me. But then this one, he will honor me. He will honor me. I don't think there's any organization that honors people better than the military. We even have a moment in funeral services called military honors. The military is very good at, at honoring people, whether it be through a patch or a medal or a ceremony of honoring people. Um, I, I've been in some ceremonies like that, and it's, it's kind of sacred. There's, a, there's, a, there's such a respect and a quietness in the room when someone receives a military honor. And, and when I've watched the ceremonies where someone's gotten the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest honor you could receive from our military for valiant service, 
When, when they come before the president and get that ribbon and medal placed over them, um, it's almost a religious experience. It's just powerful to watch. And God says this, when you get to the end and you come before me, I will honor you. For those of you who've served Sunday after Sunday, week after week, you've given time, you've given money, you've given energy to the Lord, there's coming a day. People around you may not appreciate you as much as God does, but there's coming a day where God will look you in the eye and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. He will honor you. And then he kind of summarizes all of them with actually a seventh promise where he says that he will, he will give us this salvation and honor us with um, long life, satisfaction. See, that's the ultimate reward is a long, satisfying life, not just here on earth but into eternity. That's really the emphasis because sometimes life gets shut short on earth because of your faith. You might get executed as a believer. And that's why I need to remind you, just because God is our shield doesn't mean that nothing bad can ever happen. It just means nothing can ever separate you from his love. Nothing will ever cut you off, as Paul says in Romans 8. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not even death or life or sword, persecution. None of that can separate you. We have a long life. We have salvation in the Lord. I don't know if this describes you or not. I don't know if you're the one that's clinging to the Lord, but you might be wondering, oh, pastor, how do I get to that place? How do I enter into this place where I can dwell in his presence? I want to encourage you that after today, maybe sometime today or at least tomorrow morning, you start doing some things a little differently in your relationship with God. And here's three tips. Number one, make time to sit with the Lord. This word dwell in the Hebrew language Actually, the word abide has this um, flavor of sitting, settling down and sitting. And when I'm um, have, wanting to have a conversation with my wife, it works well if we sit down. And if we sit at the table or if we go out to a restaurant and sit and talk, it, it makes a big difference. I know some of you feel like, well, I, I like to talk when we're walking on a hike. I like to talk when we're driving in the car. Um, Pastor Sam gave me an article this week that I think is, reminds me why that doesn't work real well. This idea that we can multitask, do more than one thing at, at the same time. He says, it's been proven through watch, looking at brain waves or how our brains function, that when you multitask, your brain isn't doing things simultaneously. What they're doing is switching from one to the other very rapidly. So if you're texting while you're talking, you're not fully engaged with either one. If, if you're walking, you know, I knew a guy who actually said, you know, my, my prayer time is when I drive to work every day. Now, I've tried that. But you know what I find myself doing when I'm driving? I'm looking at traffic. I'm watching the signs. I'm reading things. I'm looking at my speedometer. And I'm trying to pray. And honestly, I can't get into real deep prayers because I have too many other things going on. I can't do that. My best prayer times are when I'm sitting. And I think it would be for you too. I just encourage you, find a chair. Find a place in your house. Find a place outside your house, on the deck, in a park where you can just sit and have conversation with the Lord. Feel comfortable with that. Feel comfortable with the Lord. The reason, the reason we like to sit is when you finally are, are settled, you sit. When you have guests come into your house and they're walking in the door, what do you say to them to make them feel like this is home for them? You tell them, hey, why don't you take your coat off and sit, sit. It's like you're telling your dog, sit, sit. 
Why? Because when someone sits, it's like they're going to stay now for a while. And when you sit, you're comfortable. If you're, if you're standing up, it's like, I've got other things to do. I'm just here temporarily. Sit. So it does wonders spiritually. Second thing is invite the Holy Spirit to work in you. See, having the Holy Spirit in your life, you know, just, just because the Holy Spirit's living in you doesn't, doesn't mean he's leading you. Just because he's there doesn't mean he's presiding over you, that you're submitting to him. And I think, I think it's very good sometimes just to tell the Lord, hey, God, I'm ready. Change me. Work in me. Change my attitude. Change my heart. Do what only you can do in me. I'm making myself available. I think there's power in that because it's inviting the Spirit to do that. God will not forcefully change you. God's not going to go against your will. So tell God what your will is. There's power in just saying, God, do that for me. Because when you do that, you're in a position then to hear from the Lord. Which brings me to the third one. If you're going to hear him, if you're going to hear what he's saying in the present, take note of what he's already said and respond to it. What I mean by that is if you're in a situation where you're saying, God, help me to understand what you want me to do with my marriage, what you want me to do with my son or daughter, what you want me to do about my career choice, what you want me to do about my finances. If you're asking God about things in the present, let me just ask you, how have you responded to the things he said in the past, particularly the things that are clear in the Bible? I mean, if you're really serious about hearing from God, you should have a hunger to hear what he's already said, which would imply you are getting in the word. See, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, yeah. If my words find, find a home in you, then you're going to find a home in me. So be comfortable with God's word. Let God's word become part of your life. And if you do that, you're in a better position to hear the fresh things. What I mean by that is the things that are unique to you, that are in the current moment, that aren't in the Bible. God, like, what do I do with this decision? What do you want me to, to say in this situation? God will speak to you if you've already shown that you are a good listener. When I met Julie and we started dating, there came a time where I really said, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. So we went public and we, we covenanted together in a marriage relationship. And the first thing I did, I know it's not typical in our culture today, but here's the first thing I did when I got married to Julie is I moved in. We shared a home. And uh, it was so beautiful to spend every day waking up together, going to bed together at night, and, and we're with each other all the time. And now we've been married 32 years, and she's gone this weekend, and I miss her because she's such a part of my life. But it's just a picture of something that's even more real, my relationship with the Lord. See, whether you're married or you're single, all of us need to know the Lord is with us. And it's such a beautiful thing to start your day knowing the Lord is with you. And at the end of a rough day, to go to bed at night saying, Lord, you've been with me all day. Good night. And then wake up in the next morning and do it all over again. So God wants you to be at home with him, to be in a settled place with him, to not be a, an occasional place I stop on my journey or just a seasonal resort visit, but you're you're the home that I'm most comfortable in. And whether you move from state to state or city to city or whatever, or whether you live on this earth or go into the next life, it doesn't change if you're at home with the Lord.